Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Exactly as planned, and everything's crazy, and you have more stuff than you realize, and more junk than you realize, and you spend 30 minutes this week looking for a coffee mug in your home out of boxes. And so, uh, last that, that move happened last Friday, and I woke up on Saturday. And a realization hit me that usually I come up in front of you and I say something like, man, it's so great to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. And I didn't think that I could do that with a straight face uh, last week. And uh, I I feel like I'd just be lying to you. Like, I don't want to be here. You know, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And uh, my talk's not ready and all of that. So I, I, my mom came over and dad came over for coffee um, on Saturday morning. I said, hey, you know, do you, can you just talk on Sunday? Can you, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I've, I've never done this in like 14 years of us being at church. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. So <laughs> she's like, I'll talk with you. And so if you came last week and you were trying to make the connection between what I talked about in week one of this series and then her talk, and you're like, man, I just don't see how those, th- they weren't. That was just her being kind and gracious and we rolled with it. So We're going to talk today, continuing the conversation that we started two weeks ago with a little bit of a bump in between. But two weeks ago, we said uh, that this is going to be a series on grandstanding, uh, and we defined it as we will in just a moment again, but basically just using moral talk to uh, promote ourselves or self-promotion. And we said that this, we likened it to perhaps uh, a way in which, um, you know, our our language, like we, we, we have a cause for concern about this based on a verse that we said shows up. In Ephesians chapter four, it's, we're calling it our series verse. It's a short three-week series. By the way, it's like a weird series. It's a fun one. We just came out of like a six-week series on the Bible. So I thought we would do something kind of like different than what we normally do. So if you don't like it, don't worry. It's over next week. Uh, but um, the, the verse shows them in chapter four. And we said in Ephesians, Ephesians is essentially a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, right? Ephesus, Ephesians. Um, and in this letter, he is trying to help them navigate what it means to live in the way of Jesus in Ephesus during that time frame. All right, um, and basically, uh, Ephesus was this you know big giant city, lots of money, lots of wealth, um, lots of things going on in, in the city. Um, and so he spends the first three chapters talking about his our identity in Christ. Here's what our identity in Christ looks like, and then he goes in four, five, and six a breakdown into implications, identity, and then into implications. Here's Here's what that would mean. Here's what it would mean to live in the way of Jesus. And not surprisingly, one of the ways in which the way of Jesus influences you or impacts your life um, or has implications the way that you live is in the way that we talk and in, in what we say and how we say it. Um, and so he says this, and he explains it in this way. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, uh, at first glance, if we read this, we can uh, we oftentimes categorize this as unwholesome talk, right? We think of immediately we jump to like coarse language or you know four letter words or whatever. All those things that our mom used to wash our mouth out with soap for, and this would be the verse that she would kind of like say if she was religious or whatever, or or would have in play in this way. And, and then also not just that kind of unwholesome talk, but also then we would say, yeah, okay, like 
uh, libel or slander or um, you know hurtful things or, or deceit or lying, like all of those things we'd categorize as as kind of him saying that these are the obvious ones. Now, what I think is also then a part of this, or what could be a part of this, is this idea of grandstanding. This idea that sometimes it's not the obvious ones that get us in trouble. It's the, it's the hidden ones. It's the ones that are not so obvious, the ones that are harder to identify. If you've been in a marriage relationship for any length of time uh, that, or any sort of long-term relationship, you know that sometimes it's not the, or, or, you've, or you've witnessed this, or you've had parents who've divorced, or you, you've seen this or whatever. You know it's not sometimes the most obvious things that, that were the things that, the reason that they separated. You've seen people fight really aggressively and then work things out and make, make, you know, make the relationship work. But sometimes it's the small insidious ones. It's the dark, it's the, it's the contempt. It's the, I'm laughing at you, not with you. It's the jokes at your expense that are funny and semi-neutral, but like, you know, that it's hurtful. It's the stuff that you know exactly the right buttons to push that anybody else would say, they're just jesting, they're just having fun, it's not a big deal. But you know and they know uh, that what is happening is, is darker and, and worse than it, than it really seems. And that's, 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 I think, what's going on in this idea. Like what we're going to talk about doesn't sound like it's going to be all that bad. But I think if I was to say, Paul, would this fall into this category of unwholesome talk? I think that he would say, absolutely, yes. And so if we are an interpretive community, in the same way that Paul is trying to address Ephesus and say, here's what it would mean to live in the way of Jesus in Ephesus, we are looking at this, and each week we come together for an hour of our week, and we say, what would it look like to live in the way of Jesus in the Tri-Cities in 2023 uh, and beyond? And so one of those ways is addressing the idea of grandstanding. Grandstanding is basically this, if you're into definitions, the use of moral talk for self-promotion. There's basically two pieces of this. Um, I want you to think of me as morally impressive and you want others to think of you as morally impressive. We said last week that all of us rate ourselves highly on, on a scale of morality as higher than average. Uh, if we were to say, here's the average kind of morality of a person, we would say, well, that's really great. I'm, I'm on the right side of that, obviously. I just want you to know that I am. In fact, I, want, I don't want you to have to even question it. So let me, let me say things to you. Let me grandstand. Let me, let me take a stand on something so that you know exactly where I stand, that when you think of somebody who has their morality in, in check and in, in a good way, my name comes to your mind, right? So that's, that's grandstanding. And I do it not because I genuinely want to push the ball forward in terms of changing the world, but I just, I just want you to know I'm a good person. I'm so concerned about this. We're so concerned that other people see us as good people. And so we leverage public, public discourse to achieve our goal. So we see a need, we have a need, we want to be liked, we want to be recognized, we want to be seen as moral. So we say things, we do things sometimes um, for, the, for the, we wouldn't say sole purpose, but for the express purpose of making sure that they know kind of where we are at uh, in this. And in, in that way, um, it likens a lot to Shakespearean's um, uh, phrase in the, the show, As You Like It, which says that all the world's a stage. Like all the world is a stage. Everything that we do, we are constantly performing, projecting, and doing things uh, to make sure that, that people know where we stand. Grandstanders use moral talk to look good. And the more our audience agrees with us in terms of our morality, if our morality matches up with them, the more likely they are to be impressed with our grandstanding. And so it, it's this self-perpetuating feed cycle of this way. So let me define moral talk for us, right? So moral talk is defined in this way, discussion about what is morally good and what morally ought to be done. 
Moral talk is good. Moral talk is how we shape our morality. Moral talk is how you shaped what you think ought to happen in the world and what ought not to happen in the world. And maybe some of it was um, adopted by your parents and your upbringing, the home that you came from and the, and the life and whatever that you live. But, but then, then you kind of got to go out into college and get to go out to the first job and go see the world. And you're in your first marriage, second marriage, you're into this. You're checking things out and you have now, you, you use moral talk to kind of shape what it is that you see the way the world it, and how it should operate, right? So it, it's a good thing. Moral talk is about rights, dignity, justice, respect. It's about whether somebody did something morally right or wrong and what should happen to people who do good or bad. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good tool, but like all tools, a hammer is a good tool, except when you're trying to install a light bulb, right? It's not a great tool for that. Um, so just because it's a tool for something doesn't mean it's good for everything. There can be a bad side to using a hammer to do other things in the same way. Moral talk is good, but it can be abused. It has a dark side. It has what we would say an insidious side to it. And the funny thing about it is that we are very creative when it comes to grandstanding. That we figure out unique ways to get around it, to make it seem like it's not a big deal or that we are, that's not, that's not what we're about. We speak indirectly about things. We would never come outright and say things like this. I'm going to put two examples on the screen, just random thoughts of, uh, of different things, right? Number one is we would never say, I am the most morally sensitive person here, and I care more about the poor than the rest of you. That feels aggressive. That feels egotistical. We know people who would say that, but we wouldn't, right? That's not really our thing. That's too direct. So we opt for a more indirect one, a little bit more that cares with a little plausible deniability about some things, right? We say something like this, as someone who has long fought for the poor, I find all these proposals to eliminate rent control laws disgusting, if you think these are even worth listening to, you don't care about poverty in this country, right? Then how do you, def- how do you respond to this? If I, say, if I, re- if I uh, push back on this, I'm the one that looks like a jerk. We put people in a positions to never push back on anything, and we're always in, in these modes trying to say, listen, I want you to know I'm, imp- I'm implying something. I'm more moral than you, and you need to know that, Right? That's essentially how this thing works. And it's not about what we say oftentimes, it's about what we imply. And that's the thing that has uh, grandstanding, uh, a big piece of, of all of this. Grandstanders try to imply something about themselves without just coming right out and saying it. We like to get things done without having to say it. My wife and I just finished the succession season finale this last week. And not sure if you're a watcher of the show, but it's a show on family and power dynamics and uh, industry and wealth and gross wealth, top not even top 1%, top echelon of whatever, just financially whatever, and, and the stories of, of how power is transferred and whatever. It was a great story. And I'm listening to a podcast because this is what I do. I watch shows and then I press each television and then you, you listen to podcasts to tell me what I should think about the show because I can't think for myself. So anyways, concession. And in this, uh, somebody mentions one of the things they loved about Shiv, one of the characters, is that she had this ability to get things done without having to come right out and say it. She got that from her father passed down to her of she, she leveraged the sort of power that got, that had so much influence that it got things done through implications of it without ever having to come right out and say something. If you have to say it, that shows that you're not as powerful as, as not. And then, and then if you're ever pressed, did you ever say that? I never said that, but it got done. You know what I mean? Like that's just another level of power in this way. And grandstanding kind of does this. It kind of leverages this a little bit. 
I want to say to you, I want to prove to you, I want to show to you uh, that I am morally a good person, that you should respect my morality, but I'll never just come out and say it directly. I'm going to be creative about it. I'm going to do this in the creative ways. Because, but I do value it. I do, I'm disappointed when you don't think of me in this way or if you thought of me as average or whatever. <clears throat> so, and, and Paul writes this again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, we're gonna talk about grandstanding and respect today. Uh, this is the angle we're gonna spend some time on uh, that I think that when you do this, if if and when you grandstand, um, that there is a level of respect, uh, the, the problem with it is, because it can feel safe. It can feel like, what's the problem with telling people where I stand on something? Like, Brent, that feels like natural and it feels good. And I need to do that more, actually. All right, but be careful because there's a level of respect that can sometimes get overlooked and we are not actually respecting people. We're gonna do a little social experiment real quick. I'm gonna throw a phrase up on the screen and I want you to see if, you know, internalize if you agree with this or disagree with this. You don't have to turn to somebody and tell them or whatever, but um, here, here's the phrase. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect. Do you believe this and why do you believe it? I'm, I'm gonna assume that everyone probably walked into this room, whether you're religious or not, with an understanding of this as kind of a first principle of life. Meaning, first principles are like, everyone should kind of think the same way, and if you don't, like, what's wrong with you? And first principles in such that there wasn't anybody specific that taught you this in life, you just kind of gleaned this, you know, through just living, right? But why is this true for you? I, I, but for the, for the record, let me grandstand for a moment. I think this is true. I think this is more true than you think it's true, okay? So that, that, I'm just kidding. That's grandstanding, see? See what I did? I think this is true. But then the question becomes, why do you think it's true? Why is this true? Now, if you're religious and uh, if you're a Christian, then the out that you have is that we believe, or I believe, um, and kind of common Christian faith is, uh, that God created man in his own image, this idea of imago Dei, and therefore they, every single person bears the witness uh, 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 in, the, in the divine nature of God. Uh, and so uh, God loves that person, every person on this world, just as much as he loves me. He loves me no less than them. He loves me no more than them. And if I want a relationship with the heavenly father, I should care about the things that he cares about in the same way that you could never come up to me and be like, Brent, I just want you to know that you and I are cool, but I cannot stand your kids, right? And I'd be like, well, we are not, but we're cool, right? No, we are not cool. Like, I love my kids. So if you don't, like, I talk about them sometimes up here that makes me think, maybe makes you think that they're the worst and they kind of are, but I love my kids. So if you're going if to, if you want to love me and you, you want to be in a relationship with me, then, then that's going to have to happen for them. And we, we take that into account with God. Like um, C.S. Lewis says uh, that you have never rubbed shoulders with mere mortals. Like everyone you know uh, is created in the image of God. And um, so therefore, as a result, ipso facto, um, everyone deserves uh, to be treated with respect. Moral talk is one of our most useful tools for seeing to it that people are treated with respect. The beauty of moral talk is that we get to not only say this is true, but create structures of living and structures of workplace environments and church environments and school environments and all of these things where that becomes a lived out reality. And moral talk is how we communicate that this oftentimes isn't true for certain segments of our society. So therefore, I do not want moral talk to go away. 
That's not the case at all. I think it's very useful and profitable, and we need it and necessary for us. But in certain cases, grandstanding disrespects people. When we do this, what we're actually doing is going against what we say. When we say everyone deserves respect, and yet we grandstand, we make statements of something, and in a sense, we're undermining our own efforts, and we do it in one of two ways. Number one, by misusing or by using others to show how good the grandstander is. We call this showcasing. And number two, by misleading others about how good the grandstander is, which is deceit. We either use others or we mislead others. We use others by showcasing them or we mislead them, which is a form of deceit. We're gonna talk about each one of these individually and talk about why. Because again, what's the harm in making a public statement about where I stand? I, I, I get it. It doesn't feel harmful. But I really do think at its core, if you play it out a little bit, you can see that in some cases, there's some showcasing going on. And in some cases, there's some deceit going on, both of others and darkly on even deceit of yourself that you gotta watch out for. So as your pastor, just a word of caution, be careful when grandstanding, please don't do it because you might fall into the temptation of, of showcasing or uh, uh, deceit and thereby disrespect people. So. Um, showcasing. Real quick, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 11, Jesus is out. He's walking amongst uh, the, the, the town with all the people, and he sees uh, some people. To some who were, this is great. Luke, by the way, uh, an apostle who heard through the grapevine of the stories and decided to write an orderly account for his friend about the teaching of the person of Jesus. So these are things that people felt were most important and what they remembered most uh, about their time with Jesus. <clears throat> to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. <laughs> Listen to the audience. To people who were so confident that when they walked into the room, everyone knew who the best in the room was. It's so nice to meet you. Yes, it is nice for you to meet me. Yes, you're, you, know, you are lucky. Yes. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you're here. You, you should be glad that I'm here, right? To these kinds of people, Jesus told this parable. Again, a parable is a fictional story uh, made up, but it's told to present a point and have a, have a moral at the ending, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Immediately, people know you've created this contrast of characters. One, you know, the epitome of everything that's good. Uh, the other, the epitome of everything that is bad. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, almost probably pointing as he's doing this, you know, imagine being there. That, and then, or even like this tax collector, like he's the degrading nature of this. It's one to be a robber and then to eat like an evildoer and then an adulteress. Like these are segments of society that regardless of your religious stature, you're like, these are not looked upon fondly, right? Or even like this over here, this tax collector. What is he doing in, in, in this way? He is showcasing in this way. He's pouncing on somebody else's faults in order to make himself feel better about himself. He's setting the stage for this. Sometimes we, we look and we come down on the poor morality or the bad exposure or the moral failure of other people and we say, God, thank you for not making me like that. Lord, heavens, to Betsy. You know, like, it's, uh, it's, I'm so thankful that, that that's not me, that I would never stoop to that level and do this. Why is it? We are so quick to pounce on others' moral mistakes, real or imagined, to demonstrate to others what good people we are. 
Or in our social media as we're scrolling, our accounts that we follow that are highlighting the extremists on both sides of the position to be like, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not like them or whatever. And we pile on in sometimes in cases of public shaming, ramping up or trumping up accusations of wrongdoing. We express righteous outrage when things happen in this way. We find things that are morally repugnant and then we focus our attention and anybody else's who will listen to us on this. And in a way, our focused attention on this and our making a public stance on this somehow communicates to them or we think communicates to them Brent is so much better than that. Thankfully, Brent hates all the things that we hate and loves all the things that we love. Right? It's a showcasing piece of it. And in some cases, the reason that it's wrong is because the person that we vilified is actually innocent. Some story comes out later. You've seen this. You, you, you've seen this time and time again. Something comes out in social media. Everybody gets morally, publicly outraged. I can't believe this. Blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And then it comes out. Oh, that didn't really happen. That was like a you know fake video. That was a doctor. That was this. That was that and the other thing. And and then uh, then they're like, well, you know, that I feel sorry that that happened. But these things happen all the time. So you know what I mean? Like we we, we write this off. We we think that this would be embarrassing enough for us to stop jumping into the fray all the time. But it's not. We just find other things to do it again. Well, I might have got that, wrong, what, that one wrong, but mostly I'm right. You know that I am. So we just keep going around the way and grandstanding all over the place and do this. <clears throat> What's wrong with showcasing, though, Brent, if the target is obviously guilty? What's wrong with showcasing? All right, so somebody is innocent. But what if, what if when we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are guilty? You might think that there's nothing wrong with using blame and shame to do display your moral credentials, credentials if the target's done wrong. I even listened to a podcast a while ago talking about this, and they're going, I know it, like, we are against doxing, but we do think it's, it's important that there is accountability, right? And that's the tension, right? How do you, how do you not pile on shame and, and blame and yet hold people accountable to kind of standards of uh, uh, same things? I mean, the defense is, shouldn't people be held accountable for their actions? And, okay, yes, yes, let's, let's qualify a list. This is a morality problem. This is, this is a, t- a difficult thing. First off, here's the problem. We give ourselves too much credit sometimes in determining guilt. We underestimate how determined we are for our in-group to see us as extremely sensitive to injustice, and we talk about how being on the right side of history, and we say it with a conviction that we know exactly how history plays out. We think we're right. We think we know what we're supposed to do. We're pretty sure. We're so confident. I'm reading um, uh, a, a book right now by Eric Larson. It's about Winston Churchill in World War II. And he's the, he's the newly elected prime minister in the UK. And he's navigating the fact that Germany has now left Poland. They're advancing on towards France and England knows that they're next. And so Churchill is pleading with FDR to send troops and planes and stuff uh, and get America involved in the war. And America has kind of had this, like, that's kind of your guys' issue over there, and you guys need to figure that out. Um, In 1940, a Gallup poll was done uh, with Americans. And and the, the question was, if France and England fall, do you think America should jump into the war? If France and, Amer- and, and England fall, and there is no longer any, then should we eventually get involved in this world war and do something to stop Hitler? And only 42% of Americans at that time said yes, and 48% said no, and 10% was like, what's the question? I forgot, you know what I mean? 
A majority of Americans said, no, that's not our problem. Let them deal with it and figure that out. Like, that's crazy, guys. Like, the depth of um, deception or the depth of, like, we think we know that we're right. Like, now on this side of things, it feels so obvious. Imagine what would have happened had America not gotten involved in World War II. Like, what would this world have transpired and looked like? This alternate, I mean, people make shows about that. Um, you should watch them. They're great. But uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. So we give ourselves too much credit in determining guilt and innocence. Like, we just don't have all the cards. We don't have all the information. And we arrogantly believe oftentimes that although everyone else throughout history has had mistaken moral beliefs, somehow we've figured out how to get it all right, right? Every group ever has always had flaws. But you know what? We're pretty good. We know exactly where we stand on this sort of thing. And, you know, whatever. It's uh, hilarious in that way. And secondly, this. Even if the target is justifiably guilty, sometimes we blame and shame inappropriately or more harshly than they deserve. And nowhere is this more uh, evidenced in, uh, than in social media pieces, right? You've seen somebody say something, get on a plane, tweet something out, get off the plane, realize they're unemployed and unemployable. Um, and uh, in and, and this is a battle. This is, why, this is why parents, like one of the things that you're having to navigate as a parent, if you're a parent of a teenager, that your parents and your grandparents never had to navigate is when do you allow your kid full access to social media? When do they get to just post whatever they want and begin to project their image to society of here's who I am, here's me, here's what I look like, here's what I think all the time, here's what I think about this. Like that's a scary proposition, man. My wife and I are battling this with our 15-year-old. She desperately wants Instagram and all this kind of stuff. We're like, no, not until you're 18. Why 18? What does 18 have to do with it? That's when I can legally not tell you, I don't know, then not, you're paying for your own cell phone at that point. You do whatever you want, and your brain's a little more fully cooked to be able to handle some of this stuff. But you know there are people who have ruined their lives at 16 saying something absolutely dumb. So how many of you are 30, 40, 50 years old and so thankful social media wasn't around when you were a teenager, right? Every one of you. And me too. Like, we know that these things go out and then the piling on, the aggression, the, well, we got to hold them accountable. We got to dump everything on here. It's crazy. There's, in 2012, a health charity worker who I'm not even going to mention, I don't even want to mention her name because I do feel like I'm doing the very same thing that I'm, I'm saying not to do. <clears throat> so I'm going to leave it blank, but you can Google it if you want to just to verify I'm not making stuff up. But please don't because then you're doing all the things I just said not to do. Anyways, it's attention, whatever. She had a long-running private joke with a friend, and they would uh, photograph themselves standing next to signs and do the opposite of, of what the sign said. They thought it would be funny to take pictures, send it to themselves. She took a trip, a day trip to Arlington National Cemetery. She came across a, said, a sign that said silence and respect. She made a lewd gesture and acted like she was screaming uh, and took a picture of it and posted it to her friend on what she thought was a private message. Uh, she doesn't know her privacy settings very well. It went out to the world on Facebook. Then it got shared. Then it went viral. And then she found out I'm unemployed, unemployable, and receiving death threats from people who say, these people died for your freedom 
you should never, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, she regretted immediately what she did, obviously. Um, and, and the story comes out, is, is she doing this out of disrespect? Is she doing this because it's a joke? Is she doing this because she genuinely hates America? What is happening with all of this? She resumed normal life only after receiving pro bono services uh, of a reputation management firm to the value of about $200,000 worth of, of stuff that worked to manipulate search engine results so that that would not be the first thing that would show up uh, when you Googled her name. That's how bad it was. Even if she was in the wrong, and she obviously had regret for it and came out and apologized for it, and how much apology is necessary and what do you say, what, right? the response she suffered was, even from a fair assessment, disproportionate. Should someone receive death threats for threats for what she said and did? The answer is no, guys, all right? We're all on the same page for that, right? Morality is not a convenient excuse to use another person. So what, what, what happens is we, we took that example or people took that example and said, let me, let me use this as a time to project how much of a patriot I am or how much of an American or how much respect I have for other people to be able to be like, this is bad, this is bad. She knows it's bad, but I'm gonna pile on and 10, I'm gonna share this with 10,000 other people to make sure that everyone knows and we pile on and we trump up accusations and we do these kind of things. In a sense, we're using this person. We're disrespecting this person because we're using them to get something that we want. That's why grandstanding is bad. And is it bad that you say, well, I want to stand for America in this way? I, I get that. I understand that. But like the more reasonable excuse for why you felt compelled to share that was for some sort of self-importance and advancement of your own thing, not really restitution on her behalf or to get her to change some things. Morality requires us to treat other people according to their worth as human beings, not as mere instruments. All right. So you shouldn't grandstand, why? Because you're just using people to kind of make your picture look better. Secondly, deceit. I wanna talk about deceit for a second. <clears throat> um, deceit is a form of lying, right? Lying is I have information that I know to be false and I'm gonna say things to you that make you think it's true. Um, that it's you saying, I have a friend who is a uh, financial advisor, you should definitely go see him. And they're like, great, do you see him? Oh no, I, I don't, I can't, can't trust the guy, but you should go see him, right? You know what I mean? Uh, that's deceit and, or hiding facts to be able to be like, you know, and I'm, I'm not respecting you because I'm not treating you as a, as a moral, morally equal superior. I, I'm trying to leverage something against you. So whenever I lie to you, I'm trying to create an imbalance of power, right? And so therefore that's a disrespect to, some, to, to, to that. Uh, and, and so, uh, and, uh, but the problem sometimes is when we grandstand, when we take moral stances on, on some things, we don't even understand like deception. We don't think that we're lying. We just think that we're, we don't, we don't realize, we have uh, unrealized implications about this. We don't, it's unintentional deception. We often seek to establish reputations of being above reproach, but the truth of the matter is it may not, it, we may be far from the sterling image that we project ourselves. We, we are struggling with our own stuff. And so oftentimes we project either in that area or in a, a you know, neighboring category, we project an image to be like, this is a problem, guys. Meanwhile, there's garbage in our own life that we're not working through. And so we do this and we're deceiving other people. I have a problem, I don't wanna work through it um, or I'm trying to work through it, but I don't know how to do it. Uh, and so let me project something out there. Let me, let me grandstand and get this publicly out there so that you'll see this uh, and do it. And, and then the hard part too, the hard part that really gets involved in that is we don't even understand sometimes the depths at which it affects us. So uh, a few years ago, 
is a pastor of a church in Colorado Springs, New Life Church. I will say his name because it's more of a public thing that you might have recognized and, and it's, it's beyond this and there's some cool stories that have come out as a result of this. But a guy named Ted Haggard was a pre, uh, lead pastor of the church, planted the church, mega church. He was also the president of the National Evangelicals, uh, Association of Evangelicals, big prominent name, uh, came out... Um, Oh, oh, a fun thing, a fun fact about this one is um, Nancy Pelosi's daughter, Alexandra Pelosi, is a filmmaker and documentary person. She made a documentary called The T- Trials of Ted Haggard, which we showed at one of our film and theology small group things and watched it. Um, and she documented him early on before some of the stuff went down, his moral failure. Um, and she, she had videos of him in the church riding around on a Segway, going from stage to stage, shaking hands and talking about how great church is and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then it, it came out, um, well, he had attracted a bunch of media coverage because he came out as an outspoken support for an a, amendment to Colorado's constitution that would ban state recognition of gay marriages. He dismissed the idea that the issue even merited serious discussion. For him, this is a black and white issue. The Bible says it. He, they, you know, it says it. I believe it, et cetera, et cetera. Things uh, such as that are simple and obvious and not even worth talking about. Soon after these events, Haggard was publicly accused of carrying on a years-long affair with a male prostitute from whom he purchased crystal meth, which, you know, that sounds pretty bad. And uh, especially, especially if you've made uh, a platform of being against something and then you do it, right? I mean, it's that classic thing of somebody does protest too much sometimes. They, they, they're talking about it and they keep bringing it up. And you're like, is that, sounds like something maybe you're working through, you know? Um, that's definitely kind of what happens. Because of his public displays of moral purity, Haggard's congregation likely trusted him all the more, but he might have also succeeded in deceiving himself about his own integrity. And that's really the beautiful part of that documentary, The Trials of Ted Haggard, was walking through him realizing, I don't even know myself. Like, I've deceived myself in this process, too. I'm grandstanding. I'm taking a public stance on something. I'm doing it, and my in-group is cheering behind me. This is what they want me to say. This is what they expect me to say as their pastor. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, I'm wrestling with this, and I'm also, um, uh, like, uh, going through moral anguish, as you see in this video of, like, him carrying out that thing that Paul writes about. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't find myself doing it. I do all the things I'm not supposed to do, and I just, ugh, I'm broken. I'm broken. Or as Jeremiah would say in uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 9, Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet who's watching as Israel refuses to listen to God's calling them back to repentance and, and basically saying, if you don't respond, you're going to go into exile. If you keep going this way of, of life, um, you're going to find yourselves in Babylon. You're going to find yourself taken over. You've, you've not held up your end of the contract. You're, you're rejecting me. You keep chasing after other gods in this way. And they're like, Jeremiah, you don't know what you're talking about. Leaving Jeremiah to opine by himself, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can trust it? The heart, there's something in us that is so deceiving about ourselves. How can we dare trust what we think we know? Like it's a very, oh man, it's a, that's a tough verse. And that happens sometimes in this grandstanding piece. Yes, grandstanding can be deceptive in terms of what we're trying to do to deceive others, but watch out for your own sake, because it might be even you that you're deceiving in this way. Sometimes we manipulate our own moral emotions, such as anger, to enhance and maintain our impression of ourselves as morally good. And perhaps much of this moral outrage that uh, Ted Haggard uh, uh, exuded or whatever functioned in large part as a way of convincing himself 
that he was actually a good person despite his failure to live up to his own standards of sexual morality. And his grandstanding deceived more than just his church. So the reason that you should not grandstand, and, and guys, I'm just trying to, I, I know it feels like it's kind of neutral and maybe a good thing because moral talk is a good thing, but watch out. It can cause us to disrespect people in the way that we use them to make ourselves feel better through showcasing them or deceiving people about something that's actually going on in us. And in doing so, we're disrespecting them by not letting them be on, like not being truthful with them in this way. And our heart, our heart, oh, we go, but, but I'm innocent, but, they, but they're the ones that deserve critique. They're the one that deserves the shame and the blame. What about accountability? I get it, I understand, I get it. But the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? And I leave you with this. It is far less important to identify grandstanding in others than it is to know how to avoid it ourselves. And that is the tension point for us as we close out today. This is what I want to leave you with. This is one of those talks where you all know grandstanders and they're not very good at keeping it like uh, uh, not obvious. They're like, yeah, geez, here they go, right? The ego, the whatever. And you're sitting there and you're going, dude, I, so-and-so needs to hear this. I need to send this to them this week. You know, you're, you're thinking about how to frame the text message to be like, my pastor said something really good this week. You should listen to it. Maybe, maybe it affects you. Hmm, who knows, you know? Um, <clears throat> listen, I get it. It's really easy to identify grandstanding in other people, right? You know what's really hard to do? Start here. It's really hard for us to figure it out in ourselves. And it's a temptation and, and, and to, to uh, overlook it, to be like, no, I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's easier for us to be like, coarse language, I got to clean that up a little bit. I got kids now, right? Uh, gossip, slander, those are obvious ones, whatever. This one is more insidious. It's, 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 um, it's harder to pin down, but um, it's worth your time. And I think Paul would say it absolutely falls into the category. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So, a couple of questions to continue the conversation this week with you. Uh, if you came with somebody and, and this is like a small group or a family thing around the dinner table or a coffee date or something, or if you boyfriend, girlfriend, that kind of thing, whatever. Questions to continue the conversation. They're going to be on the screen. They're also on the notes thing. If you have the app, you can download the app, click on the notes. All of those are there in case you can't write fast enough. Number one is why do you think that everyone deserves to be treated with respect? I'm going to assume that you do, but if you don't, then that, that's a fun conversation too. That probably take you all your time. So go that way. But why do you think that everyone deserves to be treated with respect? And what's the basis for that first principle in your experience? And then number two is this, between showcasing and deceit, which are you more prone to utilize while grandstanding? Which one are you more prone? Maybe both. Maybe it's just like it's 50-50, but, but there's probably something about your psyche, your personality, your makeup that you like. I, I know me and I tend to use deceit more than I use showcasing. I don't want to shame people, but I do make them make false statements about that or whatever. Between showcasing and deceit, which one are you more likely, more likely to utilize? This will help you in a relationship to be like, this is who am I dealing with here? See, it's like marriage counseling and church stuff all in one, right? Number three, why is it so much easier to dislike the grandstanding in others while, all, while overlooking our own proclivity towards engaging with it? Why is it so easy for us to see that in other people, and just miss it when it comes to us. So those are some, uh, some questions that continue the conversation this week as we continue. 
Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.